0: Do you know what it means to be born intersex?
1: Very little. Outside of the intersex community, probably not a lot, but I'm changing that one person at a time.
0: Today on Feed, Play, Love, we're learning what it means to have a child who's born intersex. Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. What would you do if you found out your newborn baby was intersex? Would you even know what that means? And how would you respond if your doctor encouraged you to choose a sex at the time of birth or soon after? Simone Lisa Anderson is from Intersex Peer Support Australia. She's one of many who want to see surgery on intersex babies illegal across Australia and she also wants to educate the rest of us about what it means to be intersex. Hi, Simone Lisa. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, thank you. Now, we know that around the world, roughly 1.7% of people are born intersex. What does that actually mean?
1: Well, intersex is basically variations of sex characteristics that we all have. As a mammalian species, every characteristic we have on our body is on a spectrum. From hair colour, skin colour, how tall we're going to grow, everything is on a spectrum. Nobody is the same. And that's the same as sex variations. So if we look at one end of a spectrum that is atypically or typically male, and on the other end of the spectrum is typically female, that in the middle part are atypical characteristics. So for example, if you've ever seen someone that's got really bright blue eyes, that's a typical characteristic. So when we look at sex characteristics, it's all the differences in between. So when we, um, if anyone's ever seen a male penis, not all male penises are the same. They come in a wide range of sizes, colours, everything. And, and that's just one of the variations of sex characteristics. As you said before, about 1.8% of the population has a variation of sex characteristics. So when we look at that holistically, we're looking at people that have differences maybe in their hormones, maybe in their chromosomes, and maybe in their external or internal organs and structures that are atypical.
0: Can being born intersex sex lead to any health
1: complications? Yes and no. Some variations, well, there's 40 plus variations. And of those variations, there's variations within those variations. So we're talking a wide range of characteristics. And with some of those, yes, there are health implications. For example, those variations where hormones aren't created in the body, for example, if your, if your pituitary gland is not formed properly, you're not going to make sex hormones like tes- testosterone or estrogen. And because of that, you can have health issues like osteoporosis or osteopenia at a very young age. I'm talking around 16, 17 years of age. Let's go back to the very beginning. And okay. if we could bring
0: in your own experience, what happened when you gave birth to your child? did you know at the time of birth that they were intersex?
1: Yes and no. The word intersex was never used, not okay. not ever. I wasn't aware of that term up until about five or six years ago. So when my baby was born, um, my baby was born by a caesarean section. I'm not really good at giving birth, and so that was a really good option. When I came to after a general anaesthetic, I had a bunch of doctors around the bed and they told me that there was something wrong with my child. Now, a bit of a backstory. The week before, my oldest son had been in hospital and he'd been accidentally dosed with penicillin, and he's deathly allergic to penicillin. Oh God. So um I was at that point of I just wanted to have my baby and get out of that system because I wasn't happy with their their choices. So they said there's something wrong with his penis. And I said, Well What's going on? And they said, oh, well, we need to do an operation. And at that point, I'm still under anesthesia. Anaesthet- mm. And I asked, can he urinate? And they said, yes. And I said, can he defecate? And they said, yes. And I said, well, there's no problem then, is there? And probably went back to sleep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if, um, if only we were also cognizant under general anesthetic.
1: <laughs> I remember it really clearly because um, it was a very – uh, it was a turning point. Nobody had ever said no to them before. And uh, my son was born with a variation. Uh, he also had another variation that was noted when he was a lot older. So there are variations that are called comorbidities. So hypospadias can be a comorbidity, which means that if a baby is born with a hypospadias, and that's when the urethra isn't located at the tip of the penis, So when some babies are born with that, the likelihood of them having another variation is quite high. But when we look at hypospadias, it's one in every 150 live births. So it's very, very common. Uh, It doesn't necessarily always mean there's going to be another variation. But generally, with variations that are noted later, normally a hypospadias has occurred when they were born. So um, my son has Coleman syndrome syndrome. I took him to so many paediatricians as he was growing up um, saying, hey, there is something not right. My son isn't growing. My son isn't showing any secondary sexual characteristics. And all I'd get was he's a late bloomer. It's okay. But it wasn't. And because it took so long to diagnose, diagnose him, he actually has osteoporosis in uh, quite a number of his bones and he's 27 now and he still has osteoporosis even though he's been on hormone replacement for, oh, uh, since he was 19, 20. So, wow. um, yeah, it's it's quite significant. I want to come back to
0: why it took so long to understand what was happening with your son but if we can go back to that moment when you're under general anaesthetic and they're telling you, firstly, there's something wrong with your child. And secondly, that um, I'm assuming they were going to operate surgery yes. surgery on your son, which uh, amazingly, you had the presence of mind to say no to. He's 27 now. Is this still a common practice in Australia to offer? Yes. Yes. Really? They still say to oh. parents, do you want surgery on your child?
1: That's right. Um, and the rationales that are used are he needs to be able to stand to pee or boys need to stand to pee. Hmm. That's one of the rationales. And the other rationale is, well, when he's in PE and he's having a share afterwards, he's not going to look like the other boys. Right. So it,
0: you, we were speaking before this through email and you mentioned that the AMA's guidance is actually – not to operate on children until they are of an age where they can consent to any that's surgery. That's correct, yep. So even though that's an AMA
1: guideline? That's a recent guideline that came out in December 2021 in response to the Australian Human Rights Commission statement that was released in November 2021 to state that um, here in Australia um, it's a human rights abuse to do non life saving surgery on children that cannot consent
0: so So cosmetic surgery
1: cosmetic surgery okay so when you
0: spoke about the issue with the urethra not being fully up the shaft of the penis that isn't something that is a needs
1: to be medically corrected for their health no it's not life-threatening okay you'll be told that without having it fixed, your child ha- might have more urinary tract infections. And the actual statistics, and it's, it's just laughable, um, and you can probably hear it in my voice, laughable mm. and so frustrating, that children that have early surgeries not only get more urinary tract infections, they have more kidney infections, and they have to have more surgery because mm. um, this of the scar tissue. Sometimes the scar tissue creates a fistula, which stops the flow of your urine. Wow. And then other times when the child grows, the scar tissue won't. And then they have to have more surgeries as the child grows. So waiting until the child is old enough to consent, which is what my son, my son had his surgery when he was 18. And he's really proud of it. He doesn't have any issues from the surgery. And he's really happy with with how the surgery went.
0: You're talking there about the complications that can come from having the surgery too young, the physical complications. Yes. What kind of impact can it have if a child is assigned a gender at birth
1: that doesn't fit for them? That's a really good question. But I'd like to actually tell you about the psychological and emotional impact having early surgeries occur, Mm. how, how that works. Um, There's something called internalised stigma. When these children have early surgeries, what happens is that they're told not to tell their mates where they're going, not to tell grandma what's happening, not to tell anyone about what's happening to their body and the surgeries that they have. That is a lifelong trauma. And on top of that, they don't have the same feeling. They have a lot of nerve damage from these surgeries. And a lot of people that have had early surgeries find it really, really difficult to maintain and connect with other people in, in relationships. And it's really awful. But but when we go back to the, the question you actually asked me, where you don't know if the, the baby's a male or female. Yes? Yes. Well we look at as many characteristics as we can that are on from either side of the spectrum. And whichever one sort of weighs up the most, that is the sex that that child is assigned. that's how it works, and the children
0: themselves, though I mean you could make that decision and then the child later says, "Actually,
1: but I don't feel like a girl, I feel like a boy and a lot of our advocates have had that happen to them, especially quite a few that I work with and it's it's traumatic mm-hmm. it's it's um really difficult for the parents. Who have been told from day dot, you need to treat your child like a female and make sure that they wear, you know, Mickey Mouse underwear and play with dolls. And if they play with trucks or anything, you know, stop them because that's not female behaviour. And so there's a lot of trauma from the parents. What I'm trying to educate now is that okay, well, let's see what gender is most likely, but know that they may that might change during puberty or might change even earlier as that child comes to know themselves. Previously, we were
0: talking about the AMA guidelines. Mm -hmm. And um, sorry to sound like a total ignoramus, but that's a guideline. Doctors are still saying to parents, look, surgery is going to make their life better long term. You should do it now. You should do it early. Is it actually illegal anywhere in Australia to do this type of surgery on
1: babies that are too young to consent? Okay, that's, that's like a double-banged question <laughs> because um, so much is running through my head right now. I work under what's called a human rights framework. So what that means and um, what the AMA has done is put itself under a human rights framework. It says human rights matter, which means consent is required for any cosmetic surgery. So when we're talking about hypospadia surgery, it's cosmetic. When we're talking about ambiguous genitalia or where the clitoris is larger than six millimetres and it might look like a micropenis, that's when doctors go, hey, let's just cut that down. And that happens a lot. Oof. Um, as uh, for young babies, oh, <laughs> just wait, it gets worse. Some babies don't have vaginas and um, it's, it's a natural variation. And so doctors go, hey, let's make a vagina for that child. So then when they grow up, they can have heteronormative sex that's penetrative. And so that child at around 18 18 months old will then have this surgery. And for that uh, vagina to work, the parents actually have to do something called aftercare. It's dilation. And dilation is actually putting a cylinder internally into the child for between an hour and two hours every day to make sure that that vagina actually stays open enough for when they're old enough to have sex that they can have sex that's penetrative and heteronormative and that happens every day here in Australia every single day now let's move on to the next part of your question is it illegal no there's a number of um, jurisdictions in Australia that are putting forward legislation to make it illegal. We've got the ACT that are in the midst of um, that; they've already put out a draft legislation, and that's going through its process at the moment. Victoria um, is almost at that point of putting out draft legislation, and that's um, that's going through making it illegal. But the other thing that's really great about this legislation is that they can't do jurisdiction shopping. Now, jurisdiction shopping is basically people from other jurisdictions, like Tasmania, and I'm not talking people, I'm actually talking specialists, can ring up specialists all over the country and go, hey, I've got this person here, we don't do this surgery, can you do it? And they go, hey, yeah, send the kid up. And they do.
0: I'm also thinking of the wider medical community, though, because I'm assuming if you choose not to have surgery when your child is young and you're waiting for your child to give consent, that there are a number of things you're going to need support with, like you yeah. making decisions with your child. And to me, if that was my child, I'd want to go to someone who understood the complexities of being intersex and, um, you know, particularly during puberty, I imagine that's when things yes. are, are going to get complicated. Um, so I'm, I'm just wondering where parents go for support when they're trying to guide their child
1: through this experience. Well, um, there's endocrinologists and, and they have quite a bit of knowledge, although because there are so many variations and variations within those variations. Like my son is the only person in Australia that has a variation of Cormans that no other person in Australia has. So here's a variation of a variation. Mm. And and that's that's pretty rare. If I didn't have the support network I have with IPSA, that's Intersex Peer Support Australia, and IRA, that's Intersex Human Rights Australia, and their peer support and their knowledge and education, I, I would not have been able to support my son and give him a peer group, a, a support group of other people that have had similar, who are in similar situations to him. So then he doesn't feel alone and
0: isolated and I imagine you as well right because as a parent you're trying to do the best for your child but I'm assuming you'd never had any experience with the intersex community before
1: giving birth to your son absolutely that I didn't even know what intersex was and the general person on the street also has no idea unless they've come into contact with someone and Mm. unlike very butch lesbians where you can look down the street and say oh look that's lesbian, and I can say that because I'm a very butch lesbian. <laughs> um, hilarious, I know, right? But I, I can say that uh, you, you can't pick someone that has an intersex variation, and so unless somebody tells you about what intersex is, you won't have. And it's all to do with that 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 hidden hiddenness of it the um, the erasure of this population that occurs because of the medical community. And, and that is why it's, it's, it's just not a thing that a lot of people know. So what would you say to
0: a parent? Um, firstly, if they give birth to an intersex child at that very early stage, what, what would you say to that parent? What's the first thing you would suggest for them? Your baby is perfect just the way it is.
1: And love your baby because all babies need love. Find a peer support group. All you need to really know is that there's support out there. There's a community just waiting, just waiting for you to make that first step.
0: Simone, Lisa, it has been a pleasure speaking with you. I know that there is so much more that you're doing. Unfortunately, we don't have time to talk about it all. But what we will do is we'll put links of those groups in the notes of this episode. Thank you so much for your time today. Anytime. Thank you. That's Simone-Lisa Anderson. She's from Intersex Peer Support Australia. And as I mentioned, I'll put all those links in the notes of the episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love. If you did, please rate, review or favourite. That way you'll get all the new episodes. Plus, we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, Email me at feedplaylove at listener.com. Bye for now.